me free. May be seated. chapter 3, we are kind of in the interim of going from ending up in the uh, book of Acts and ending that, uh, that series there in Acts and um, getting ready to go into another series. And uh, I'm kind of in the middle there, and uh, the next series that uh, I'm looking to go into is the series of Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes, and I'm looking forward to that. And But before we get there, I wanted to stop here in John chapter 3 this morning and just spend a little bit of time uh, right here uh, at this interesting, interesting uh, meeting that Jesus has by night with this Pharisee. You know, we're living in a time, we're living in a time today where the world is captivated, or I should say captured, by fear captured by fear. I mean, if we say the word COVID-19, everybody knows what that means. We know what that elicits. We know where we have been living over the last year. The world shut down. I'm telling you what, you know what came to light to me? How what one little thing could shut down the entire world. You know what else comes to you when you realize this? How little you control that you have over anything. No, we we live in a wonderful country. Every country has problems. Every family has problems. Our nation has problems. I wouldn't want to live on another nation on the planet. That's for sure. But you know what? Living in America, uh, life's pretty easy, folks. And it takes something like this to realize, you know, we can come and go as we please. We have money in the bank. They say if you can gather up, sell all that you have or whatever you need to have to gather up $10,000, you have more money than something like 80% of the country, of the world at one time. That's fascinating. That's, that's flabbergasting, really. And we've had that opportunity. We've had that liberty, that ability just to move and to go and really do whatever we want to do. And it took a little thing like COVID-19 to make us realize that we don't have control over very much after all, do we? Yeah. We saw quarantines. We saw masks. We saw a word that will forever go, a phrase that will ever go down in infamy, social distancing. I hate that phrase. You see it everywhere. Step on that sticker and follow those arrows. And I, of course, my insides are like, no, I'm going to step over here and go the opposite way of that arrow. But anyway, that's a whole other subject, all right? No. But we're living in this time, are we not? And we are living in a time, listen to me, of controlling fear. Now, you and I who are in Christ Jesus, you and I who have, who have uh, humbled our hearts before God and repented before God and put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't really understand that. It took me a long time to understand how gripped the world is by fear because we're not. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. I mean, go ahead. I mean, what's going to happen? It's just going to get better and better and better. We're fine. But the world is gripped by fear, is it not? More than ever. Why? What? Think about this. If nothing exists, if there is no God, if there's nothing after this life, why are people so afraid of dying? Yeah. 
Well, you know why? Because they know in the depths of their soul there is something after this. And they're going to stand before the God of the universe and give an account for their life. And for the times that they heard the gospel and the times that they rejected a God, the gospel. And there is this, this pervasive over the world, this pervasive fear that, that just controls the life of the average unbeliever. The worst thing is when it controls the life of a believer. I can understand it being uh, an unbeliever being controlled by fear. Not an un, not, not a believer though. But this is the thing. The, the, the world is gripped by fear because they know what? They, they, the possibility is they are, they may die. But here's the real possibility. No, you're going to die. Someday. Yeah. There's a saying out there. You've heard it. Some of you have heard this in the church realm. I like this. I don't even know who, who it's attributed to. If somebody knows later, you can tell me. But they said this, those who are born once die twice. And those who have been born twice die once. How is a person born twice? Well, in our text this morning, Jesus is actually going to bring it up and he is going to answer it. So the question I have today Have you been born twice? Have you been born twice? If you turn your attention to our text in John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And we're given two insights into this man, Nicodemus. Number one, here it is, he's a Pharisee. Number two, he is a ruler of the Jews. And what that meant was he was on the council of the Sanhedrin. The Council of the Sanhedrin. Before I get there, let me tell you real briefly what the Pharisee was. There was about 6,000 Pharisees at this time. They were rabbis. They were teachers of the Jewish law. And they dedicated themselves to keep... Now, I'm going to give you some big words, all right? But I'm going to define them. They're going to, they, 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 they gave themselves over to keep the codified, the codified law. What is a codified law? What does that mean? Well, the scribes, they wrote down the Bible. They wrote down Scripture. They copied Scripture. They wrote scribes. The scribes took the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses, also called the book of Moses, the books of Moses. They took the Pentateuch and they interpreted what the law of the Old Testament meant. They interpreted it. Boy, this is, this is on dangerous ground when we start interpreting a lot of stuff. And this is, let me give you an example of what happened. So the scribes would take a command, let's say, just say this command right here. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, to keep it holy. Well, they would take that one command and they have written, this is literal now, they have written 24 chapters on what it meant and how it was to be obeyed. That's exhausting, right? And so they did this with all five books of the Pentateuch. And that book, okay, that codified law, that book they put together of 24 chapters just on the, 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 uh, of the Sabbath, just on the Sabbath day. So there's nine others they get to write on. Was that, that book was compiled into one book called the Mishnah. The Mishnah. This is the book 
that Nicodemus lived by. This is the book that the Pharisees lived by. And this book outlined how he performed performed his religion. How he lived it out on a day-to-day basis. So this was the life of a Pharisee. And the Apostle Paul, you know, he was a Pharisee as well. But here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Not only was he a Pharisee, the Bible says here, he was a ruler, he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was on the council of the Sanhedrin. Now this is an ancient assembly of 23 or 71 rabbis who were appointed to sit on a tribunal in every city in Israel. They were the ones who judged how people were living out the Mishnah. They were the supreme, the top religious body in Israel. They were the final authority on Jewish law. They were the supreme court of the Mishnah, of the Jewish law. And anyone who went against their, te- their rule, they went against the council of the Sanhedrin, they were subjected to the penalty of death. So it's pretty pretty serious here. And this is who Nicodemus is. So now watch this now. Nicodemus not only knows the law, but he is responsible to keep and to protect the law. This guy, Nicodemus, this guy comes to Jesus by night. Why can't he come during the day? Well, he's a Pharisee. They hate Jesus. They don't know what's going on with this guy. But something is going on in Nicodemus. And he has to ask a question. So he comes to Jesus by night. And notice in verse 2 how he addresses Jesus. Look at verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Notice this. Do you see what he first calls him? Rabbi. What is Nicodemus? He's a rabbi. He addresses Jesus as a rabbi as well. Why? Because Jesus was a teacher of the word of God. Obviously, he had throngs, which the Pharisees didn't like, throngs and thousands of people following him to listen to him teaching. And, and, and uh, Nicodemus acknowledges this. He calls him a rabbi. He gives him that same title that he has. And a rabbi was responsible for teaching the law. Uh, uh, the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees ad- uh, address the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The aspects of the law. But the rabbis address the spiritual application and the teaching of the law. All right, spiritual. Rabbis would speak in the temple. Rabbis were spiritual leaders. They were counselors. They were role models. So this great Pharisee, this rabbi, on the highest council in Israel, is coming to another rabbi, whom he himself calls rabbi, to ask some questions. Look what he says here. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. You notice that little word there, we? Interesting, isn't it? Nicodemus wasn't coming alone. 
He wasn't coming alone. Listen, there were some other Pharisees, there were some other Sadducees that had been contemplating what Jesus was doing. And obviously Nicodemus was was the, 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 the guy who decided to be the one appointed to go to Jesus to ask him the questions. He said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. That's fascinating, really. They're acknowledging not only as a teacher, they're acknowledging that he is a teacher come from God. How do they know he's come from God? Look what it says. Because for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Remember at one point the Pharisee says, well, well, you're, you do miracles by Beelzebub. But that's how you're doing all of these miracles. You're doing them by Satan. And Jesus said, really? How can Satan cast out Satan? For he'd be, he'd be divided against himself. And any house divided against himself falls. That's, that's impossible. Well, here Nicodemus realizes, no. No, you're sent from God. Nobody can do miracles like this except they be sent from God. Now listen. Listen, please. The Jews still struggle over this today. This is still a sticking point for them. They do not deny the miracles of Jesus Christ because Elijah did miracles and Elisha did miracles. They don't deny the miracles. They, de- they just stop there and they don't go uh, as far as they should go that he is their Messiah. So they didn't have any problem here. They realized that he was sent from God. They realized that only one sent from God can do miracles. And this high up religious leader in Israel is confessing that this man named Jesus, this rabbi, has to be from God. Yeah. That's a pretty good start, folks. Can I remind you, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For him that cometh to God must believe that he is, and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him you got to start there. Hey, Nicodemus is starting at a great spot. He's acknowledging that Jesus, at least at this point, is come from God. So Jesus is going to respond here in verse 3 of chapter 3. Look what he says. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a strange response. Nicodemus is just saying, we know you're a rabbi. We know you're sent from God. You do miracles. That was it. That was the statement. He actually makes a statement, not even a, really a question. And Jesus answered not a question. He answered a statement. What was he answering? He was answering his heart. He knew what he was asking. He knew what he was looking at. Kind of strange, right? Nicodemus had a little something on his heart that he was trying to figure out. Do you know the same thing is going on in hearts here this morning? You know, there is people that, that uh, may, you know, come under the preaching of the Word of God and they come under the Gospel and they're just trying to figure out what's going on inside them this morning. There's something that's going on. They can't put a finger on it. They don't know what it is. There's something that's uneasy. There's something that's unsettling. There's something that's, uh, that's drawing you to the Word of God and to the person of Jesus Christ, but you just can't quite put your finger on it, what's going on in your life. You're looking for answers. Sometimes you get answers and they're a little difficult to swallow, aren't they? This is what Nicodemus is doing. He was looking for answers. Look at verse 3 again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. 
Do you know, this was a really radical thing for Jesus to say. Why? Why why would this be so radical? Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to a Pharisee. He's talking to that who is of the lineage of Abraham, as Jesus is, but on his mother's side. But, yeah. Nicodemus. It was their old birth that counted. It was their old name that mattered. It was their ancient lineage that solidified their security in heaven. It really didn't, but they thought it was. They thought it was, why? Because they were under the covenant that came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here they are of this lineage. And all they can point to is that their birth meant that they were a part of the covenant. That they were right with God. But you know what happened as time moved on? They missed the heart of the matter. It wasn't just because they were of the seed of Abraham. It wasn't, that wasn't what saved them. It was their faith and trust in, G, in, in the Word of God at that time and in the future in Jesus Christ that saved them. It was the same thing that saved Abraham, that saved Noah, that saved everybody else before them and everybody else after Abraham. It was the same thing. But the Jews got to the point where they believed it was their lineage alone that made them right with God. So here's what Jesus is saying. You must be born again. Your old birth can't get you to heaven. The the family you were born in, it's not sufficient to make you right with God. And so this, this answer that Jesus gives really sends Nicodemus into further confusion in verse 4. Look what he says. He said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? That's a... That is a logical question, folks. Right? He's not being weird. You know, it's like, uh, that's a weird question. Obviously, we know how uh, a man can be born again. Look what he goes on to say. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? I'm sorry. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, no, he cannot. But Jesus is going to answer him now. Look at verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Born of water? Born of the Spirit? Uppercase, capital S. What does that mean? I'm going to take just a minute here just to make a doctrinal note here on this verse. There is a lot of different thoughts on this verse. There's a lot of false doctrine that comes from this verse. Born of water. That's the big one that gets people, really. Born of water. What does that mean? Some say this water here is referring to water baptism. Yeah, You have to be baptized to be saved. Who believes that? Well, in essence, Catholicism believes that. Church of Christ believe that. Some Pentecostal believe that. There's a lot of groups out there that believe baptism saves. Right? But you know, there's no evidence in the Word of God that gives us that baptism saves. Whether just from, from just, uh, just the words and verses alone, or even from deductive reasoning from other doctrinal positions. Yeah. Baptism can't save. Why? Well, here, let me give it to you this way. We're sinners 
God is not. And the only way back to God is to have our sin removed. And listen to me, folks. Water doesn't wash away sin. Never has. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Second Peter. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, it's a good conscience. It's a good con- not Not the filthy, it doesn't clean the flesh up. It's a good conscience towards God is what baptism is. And there's other things we can deal with another time. But it is not salvation. Water cannot save. It is the blood of Jesus Christ alone that washes away sin. You say, well, where do you find that? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 9.22. And without, I'm sorry, without shedding the blood is no remission. Without shedding the blood. You want another one? Let's go to the Old Testament. Leviticus 17.11. The Bible says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Listen to me. Listen to this. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. It's the blood. Water doesn't wash away sin. So it can't be referring to this. What about referring to the Word of God? Some believe that, well, this is referring to the Word of God. That's, there's some application there. But Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 says this, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What is a church? It's a called out assembly. It's assembly of baptized born again believers uh, that have assembled together, that have coveted together to carry out the great commission. What is the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is what a church is. And notice what he says here, to cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. See this, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. So what is a church? It's an assembly of individuals who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Watch this. The washing of the water here, the washing of the water of the word, it was written to believers about their sanctification process. God has set aside His children by saving them, and then He has, has cleansed them, He cleans them by the Word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. See, this water of the Word here is a process of sanctification. It is a process of cleaning us up. It is a process of taking us from the world and the pit and the mess that He found us in and and, and translating us and bringing us through, making us like His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is what God promised, was it not? He Did not He promise the, the, the foreordination of God, the predestination of God? Number one, we are predestined in Christ, not out of Christ. The predestination is, applies to those who are saved, not unsaved. But what was predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son? God determined that those who would come to Him by faith through His Son, Jesus Christ, He promised, He predetermined, He's going to make us like Him. This is the process of sanctification. He's cleaning us up. He's making us like Jesus. This is what He's doing. This water of the word here in Ephesians is not to be saved. It's because we are saved. So the word of God is cleansing to the believer. And I must say, full disclosure, it is the word of God by with which we are saved. Yeah. 
You say, oh, now you just ruined your own argument. Don't, I'm not done yet. Yeah. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What is the word of God? It is the seed. And when the gospel is preached, what is happening? The seed is being scattered out. It is, it is falling on hearts. Some it's falling on stony hearts. Some it's falling on wayside hearts and hardened hearts and hearts with thorns and thistles. But some of the seed is falling on good hearts that receive it. And when they receive that seed, it, it blooms and it brings forth fruit. It's a great picture of a born-again child of God. Yeah. So we are born again of the Word of God, absolutely. But this, isn't, this, this doesn't settle this passage so fast. Okay, You can't take one word and just apply it everywhere. It would be like this. It would be like me, somebody, I, I die someday or something. and I mean, I will someday, but I die. And for some reason, uh, somebody writes a biography of me. It would be like four pages. <laughs> it wouldn't be very big. And uh, I didn't, probably wouldn't even write a biography. But anyway. Somebody were to write this biography of me and they would take some, maybe some letters or some old messages I had or they found some illustration. And in this biography, they wrote down, Derek Eccles hated ice cream. And people would go, oh, wow, that's interesting. He just didn't like ice cream. Isn't that interesting? But the rest of the context, if they had read the rest of it, might have said something like, hated ice cream for breakfast. Or hated ice cream with ketchup on it. Yeah. Right? Or hated ice cream after he brushed his teeth. <laughs> That'd be bad, right? You see what I mean? The, the, the statement would be true, but it's completely out of context. What am I saying? Context is king. So what is the context here in chapter 3? Look at this. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. He's going to define verse 5. Verse 6 is going to explain what the water is and what the, what the Spirit is. We know what the Spirit is, but what is the water? Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He just defined it in verse 6. What is it? You have to be born physically, duh, before you can be born spiritually. Why? Because only, only physical beings need to be born spiritually, right? It's referring to a natural, physical birth. What happens when it's time for that baby to come? Swing wide the gates. The water breaks. Yeah. And here it comes. They've lived nine months in that water sack. Or however, what, ten, I don't know the exact. I know I get corrected on that all the time. The exact number of days. I don't count those things. I'm just going to say nine months. And if that child is coming out naturally, that sack is going to break so the baby watch can leave the habitat he, he was living in to break into a new habitat he has never lived in. The water breaks. Here's what Jesus is differentiating between two births, physical and spiritual. Yeah. Now watch this, don't miss this. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a Pharisee who believed his natural birth was enough. And you know what Jesus is saying right here? You, you can't stop at your natural birth. That's not the end of it all. There's more. Yes, you have to be born physically. But if you stop there, you will die spiritually. So, 
Jesus establishes this. And he's going to move on to another topic, so it seems like. And he's going to move on to the subject of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Remember what he said here in verse 3. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. If you're here this morning and you've been born into the physical kingdom, you have been. You're living in a physical realm. A realm, I guess you could call it an existential realm. We're not existentialists, but anyway. You've been born into that realm. But the kingdom of God is spiritual, not physical. You say, how do you know that? Luke 17, 20 through 21. Let me read it to you. I have it written down here. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come... He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Can't see it. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, here it is, The kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. Do you understand that? It's in you. This is the, differ- this is the difference between the kingdom of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom is invisible. The church is visible. The kingdom is universal. The church is local and visible. So he, Jesus says the kingdom is within you. Well, what happened? What happened here is that, that Adam and Eve were created perfect without sin. And when their spirit, when they were made, their spirit was alive unto God. And they had perfect communion with God. But when sin came, their spirit died. Just like God said, they died that day. They died Physically that day, they began to die physically that day. The death process began and they died spiritually that day. And because of the choice of Adam and Eve, no one is born into the kingdom of God at their physical birth. Our relationship with God, it was severed. It was severed. And so, everyone born this morning of the seed of Adam, which we are, has been born into this world with a spirit that is dead and separate from God. Your soul is not dead. Uh, we reject total depravity in the way it's defined. You can go to, the, you can go to the, the day of Pentecost when the Word of God was preached and they heard and they were convicted and they responded, right? Not all of them was dead. Our will, mind, and emotions is plenty alive. And so our relationship was severed and we are all been born dead. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Paul wrote that in Romans 3. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That word quickened there means made alive. Listen to Ephesians 2 and verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. So here's the question we have to ask. If the kingdom of God is spiritual, and we are born into the physical, how does the physical get into the spiritual? 
How does something dead be made alive? Verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't let that mess you up. Verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And verse 7, Jesus says here, you must be born again. The only one who can enter into the kingdom of God are those whose dead spirits have been made alive. Notice this word, born again. Again, not the first time, again. Why? Because Adam and Eve's spirits were once alive, but they willfully sinned and our spirits dead. Why, why, why do we have to... You ever think about this? Why did I have to be born like this? Well, Adam was a representative head. Yeah, If he had made it all the way and not sinned, we'd have been all right. Yeah. But he chose. Was it because of Eve's sin? No. Uh-oh. If Adam had said no, Eve would have died and Adam would have, God would give him a new wife, I believe. But he chose to. And because he has a dead spirit, we are all born with the dead spirit. Romans 5.12, whereas for by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Anybody sin in here? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Come on, we're all in good company, right? How about last week? How about this morning? How about four minutes ago? When you said, what time is it? No, listen to me. Somehow life must be placed into a dead carcass. How does he do that? Well, it's not something that you can see. Verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is everyone, so is everyone, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, you do, do you ever really see wind? Yeah. No, but you see the evidence of it, don't you? I want to make sure I get this right. I've had one of these weird thoughts before. Make sure I say it right. Can you see pain? I, somebody smarter than me would probably tell you, yeah, there's, you know. You can't necessarily see pain, though, can you? You can see the evidence of it. You can feel it. But is pain visible? Maybe if you get in and watch the body and the electrical complex of your body go and firing off, okay, maybe. But you can't see wind. We don't see, all we see is the evidence of the wind and what it does. And just as there is a day and a time for our physical birth, there has to be a time and a day of our spiritual birth. Yeah. It's unseen, it's spiritual. That's why we know, uh, I'll move on, it's another subject. Here's the question you're asking. Maybe somebody in here is asking it this morning. Okay, I get it. I'm a dead carcass. If I'm going to be made alive, my spirit has got to be made alive. Somehow life has to get into this dead carcass. And you're asking, how does this happen? How? Look at verse 14. Drop down, would you please? 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, Jesus was talking about being lifted up already. He was, he knew, obviously, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was going to be taken up. He knew he was going to be crucified. He understood that. He knew that all of the Father's wrath was going to fall upon him. He was physically going to die. Jesus was. He's physically going to die. But on the third day, he was physically going to walk out of the grave alive forevermore. Amen. And he's alive today. Did you talk to him today? Have you talked to him this morning already? He's alive, isn't he? He absolutely is. And the, see, watch this. And the father was going to accept the son's blood for the remission of sin. No more blood of goats. No more blood of bulls. No more slaughtering of sheep, right? Jesus is the sacrifice of God. The father brought his own lamb to the sacrifice. The perfect spotless lamb of God. And we can say this morning that he paid it all. He paid it all. Amen? Jesus was the sacrifice. And just like those Old Testament saints that believed what God said and obeyed God by, by bringing the sheep to be sacrificed, salvation is no different today, folks. There are not three ways of salvation. There are not three different dispensational ways of salvation. It has always been the same thing, which is a faith and obedience to the Word of God. So we, but what do we do today? Well, we believe what he says. What is it? What will happen when we believe what he says? We will bring our sacrifice. What is our sacrifice? It's not a what, it's a who. Who is our sacrifice? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so if I'm going to believe God and I'm going to take and believe that Jesus is a sacrifice, how do I bring Jesus as my sacrifice to God? How do I do that? Well, I want to read for you what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Would you notice something in that verse? He said, I know whom I have believed. He didn't use the word in whom. He didn't say, I know in whom I have believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. You know what Paul was saying? I believed Jesus. What does that mean? I believed what he said. You, you, you ever have somebody, you, you might see a court case, maybe pretend you're a judge and, and the attorney comes before for his client, he pleads his case and you say, yeah, I believe him. Right? What, what's the judge going to do? Not guilty. Okay, or guilty, whichever one he believes. All right. He believes him. You and I believe people at times, don't we? Somebody tells us a story, we say, Yeah, I believe you. Somebody says, This is crazy. You'll never believe this. But I was in the woods and blah, 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 and this thing came down and a monkey was up in the tree and blah. And you go, Yeah, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. All right. Paul said, I believe Jesus. <laughs> I believe him. What did, what did he believe that Jesus said? Well, he believed, number one, what God said about his son, that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. He is the very God. He is the very son of God. He said, I believe this. I believe this, right? I believe what God said about him. Remember when Jesus was being baptized and the father looked down and he said, Behold, you know, uh, uh, 
oh, he was looking down on him. I'm going to, re- I'm going to forget this. What he said, um, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. There it is. This is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Amen. Yeah. You know, Paul says, I believe that. I believe what God said about Jesus. I believe what Jesus said about himself. I believe him. I believe him. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul said, I believe that. I believe him. I believe him. We believe what God said about us. Right? That there's none righteous, no, not one. That we are all as an unclean thing. Isaiah 64. That all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We can stand up and say, yes, I believe you. I am just worthless. So we believe what God said. And then we bring our sacrifice. How do we do that? Well, when we believe what God has said about Jesus, when we believe what Jesus said about Himself, when what Jesus said about us, the only thing left to do is to what is called repent. What does that mean? Well, we change our mind. We had a set of information that we were living off of, our natural information, the information we got from, our, from the world and from just our natural circumstances. We had that information we were living off of. And then one day we get the gospel, which is a whole other set of information, which is truth. And we say, I believe that. What does that mean? You have just repented. You have changed your mind. You have changed your mind to what you used to believe, and now you've changed your mind to believe something else. And watch this, when you change your mind, change of direction follows. No, we're not changing direction to be saved. We are changing direction because we believe the information that we've been given. If somebody said, hey, there's a bridge out up here, about 80 foot down there's the water, it's a bad road, the bridge is out. And you say, I believe that. Yes, I believe. I believe. You wouldn't do that. Drive off the end of the bridge. Right? No, some people don't change in their life because they don't believe it. We change what we believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen to this. Paul goes on to say, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Look what he tells the Pharisee in verse 15. Look at this. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There is, comes a time in your life, there has got to come a crossroad in your life when you get the gospel, when you get the information, and you come to the place of saying, I believe that. And when you come to the place of saying, I believe that, you're going to approach God. You're going to approach Him, as the Bible says, with repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to approach Him and you're going to confess to Him I believe what you say about yourself. I believe what you say about me. I believe what you say about Jesus. And if I believe it all, do you know what that means? I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And the only way out of this trouble is Jesus Christ. And you know what you do with your mouth? You confess that with your mouth and you say, you ask Him for it. 
So simple. Salvation was not for Abraham's seed alone. Salvation is for not, not for those born into Christian families. No, no, nobody is born physically and simultaneously spiritually in, into the same two realms. It's not possible. Your Catholicism will not get you to heaven. Your Baptist parents will not get you to heaven. Your baptism will not get you to heaven. Your supposed gifts of the Holy Ghost will not get you to heaven. Your whatever will not get you to heaven. The only thing that makes a lost, wicked sinner right with God is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when that blood has been applied to your account, your record is expunged. Hallelujah. Past, present, and future, it's gone. Gone. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you approach them. You admit who you are. And you ask Him to save you. It's that simple. Salvation, look at this, is for whosoever will. Whosoever will may come. Say, how do you know that, preacher? Look at verse 16. (laughs) For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Please don't forget that Jesus was speaking to a Pharisee who thought that only those with Abraham as their father was right with God. Jesus said that God loved the world. That He sent His Son... And that if you believe Jesus, you will at that moment have eternal life. Your dead spirit gets made alive. And once your spirit is made alive, listen to me, there is nothing that can kill it again. Why? Because sin that killed it the first time has been eradicated by the blood of Jesus Christ. For you to lose your sin would mean that sin would have to be able to kill your spirit again. It can't. It's not possible. Why? Because it's gone. It's completely, completely gone. Have you been born again? Do you remember the day when you approached the God of heaven? Believing you were a lost sinner. Believing Jesus' blood was enough. Believing God would save you if you asked Him to. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that crossroad in your life? Yeah. Do you remember the day when you approached God and you confessed with your mouth that you were a sinner and you just asked Him to save you? I don't know what the words were. Words come out of a heart. It's the heart that's the issue. You know, today you can move from your, how do I say this? You can move your faith from family and religious lineage and place it in Christ alone. And then know what you're going to find? The rest 
the rest, the rest that's been eluding you. You know what you'll find? Fear vanishes. You know what you find? A peace that passes all understanding. You know what you find? The Holy Spirit of God that indwells you, that tells you that you're a child of God, and you know it. That's what you find. Fear not him that can kill the body. No, the Bible goes on to say, fear him that can kill both body and soul. Let me say it correctly. That can cast both body and soul into hell. There we go. My memory. Not good sometimes. You living in fear today? You living in fear? No joy? No peace? Something's drawing you. You don't know what it is. I'm telling you. I'll tell you what it is today. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, today, you can come to Him and you can have all of your sin forgiven. The blood of Christ will, will, will make your dead spirit alive. You'll be reconciled back to God. And there's a whole host of wonderful theological and doctrinal things that you get to learn about your position in Christ. It just gets better and better and better, doesn't it? Amen. Are you born again? Are you born again? You can be. You need to be. You must be today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you today for your word. I love how you answered Nicodemus. And you went right to the heart of the matter. And it's the same issue today. The same issue Nicodemus had is the issue we have today. It is the heart that is dead. It is a spirit that is dead. and needs to be made alive again. And Lord, it could be that there are those here today that have never been born again of the Spirit of God and they need to be saved today. Father, would you draw them even now? Would you draw them, please? That they would come today and get saved. Pray for those that are believers here today. They're in Christ. They're born again. And Lord, they have family members that are lost. That Lord, that uh, you need to draw them and do a work. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would keep those heavy on our hearts. That we'd continue to seek them out as well. Father, would you do a work here this morning? Would you do the work? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you